Hi and welcome to Work Life Cafe podcast. My name is Kashif and together with Sam, we want to have a dialogue with you about life, work and how to thrive in our always connected world. Work Life Cafe podcast is brought to you by Manpower Group Malaysia. And if you have any questions or suggestions about a specific topic, go to manpower.com.my forward slash worklifecafe. Submit your suggestions or questions there and we will gladly address them. That's manpower.com.my forward slash worklifecafe. Our question for today is how to start a freelance career. And we have a perfect guest speaker to chat about this topic. He is a pharmacist by education, but by now he's a veteran in the digital marketing scene with close to a decade of experience under his belt. He has led marketing teams at companies such as Mind Valley, Next Academy, and Keyword Tool, and has consulted for multiple startups and SMEs in the local and international arena. His work has also been featured on Facebook for Business as a case study. Currently, he freelances as a digital marketing consultant and hosts digital marketing workshops from time to time. He's deeply passionate about the intersection between marketing and technology, and so he spends his free time coding apps which make his life easier. Kayong, thank you for joining and welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Guys, if you want to reach out to Kayong, you can visit his uh, website, growthyj.com, and you can connect with him there and explore what type of services he can provide for your business. So, Sam, would you like to open up with any questions? Yeah, very much so. I'd like to hear from Kai. At what point did you make the decision to make a shift, and what was the ultimate driver? What made you... Right. Okay. I'm going to make the jump. Cool. That's quite an interesting question. Uh, the truth is I knew in my first year in my work life that this is not something I wanted to do for the rest of my life, but I didn't just like make the move there. And then I let the idea kind of sit with me for a few years. And I knew that if I still felt this way after a number of years, then I know it's a surefire uh, way decision for me that I need to do this. And I also spend this time not just thinking and contemplating, but also to prepare myself. If I were to make a, a career jump, a career shift, uh, what are the skills that I need in order to make this career shift? So that was what was going on in my mind. And that's what actually happened. So it was a gradual process. And, and then over a period of time, you decided then you would make the switch. When did you know you were ready to sort of cross that line? Well, for me, it's always good to have like a, a plan B. So I worked as a pharmacist in a hospital. And according to the, the, the Malaysian pharmacy law, you need to basically uh, serve a number of years before you can actually get your, your certificate as a pharmacist where you can practice in a private setting. So I wanted to at least get the certificate first before I make my move so that I have a backup plan if things don't work out. Excellent. So hedging your bets, basically, staying sort of motivated to go solo. I'm, I'm really keen to hear from you. Did you have any doubt? How did you address those doubts? Because it's a, it's a significant jump. I mean, moving from the security of a professional job, this is something where you know for as long as you need a job, you're going to have it, to being a freelancer, you know, income is not going to be as predictable. So it's a significant change. And perhaps you can sort of share with us a little bit some of the, the key learnings on the journey, some of the things that 
didn't quite go as planned and, and, and how did you deal with situations like that? Yeah, so um, when I left my pharmacy career, I didn't just go straight to become a freelancer because I knew nobody was going to hire me if I do that, right? So I wanted to gain experience first. Uh, I joined a couple of companies who were pretty much like the, they were at the forefront of digital marketing and I wanted to learn from them. First company I joined after Pharmacy Life was Mind Valley, and uh, I actually took a significant pay cut just to join. But I know that uh, in the long run, it's going to benefit me because this is where I want to be. These are the skills I want to acquire, and what better place to learn than from people who have mastered it at that era? I was there for about four years or so. Uh, I was contemplating at that time. The startup scene was booming in Malaysia. There's a lot of excitement, a lot of energy going into starting a business, starting a startup. And so I, at that time, I felt like I want to be part of it. And so I spent four years accumulating knowledge related to digital marketing in Mindvalley. And I felt like, you know, maybe this is a good time to, to make another leap. So it wasn't just one leap, it was multiple leaps throughout my career. And so um, I didn't start my startup straight. I joined an, another startup that was called Nix Academy. They provide like coding boot camps. And so... Um, it was interesting as well because with my experience, I got to lead their marketing team. I got to uh, join a totally different industry, which is uh, education-based, you know, teaching, uh, reskilling people with coding skills. Uh, I learned a bit of coding there as well. And then from there on, uh, you know, I joined another company, which is a software company, a SaaS company. So I gained all these different bits of experiences along the way. And this really helped equip me with the confidence and the skills I needed to go out on my own, in a nutshell. That's amazing. Shows a lot of a lot of maturity for what would have been very, you know, you would have been very young at that time. But uh, yeah, absolutely made perfect sense. You had your sort of career pretty well mapped out. Interesting, the journey, you made a decision to get to a point and rather than from the, the, the normal route A, from A to B, you were very clear in your mind what you needed to do to be able to get to that point and were patient enough, focused enough to be able to do that. Again, if you'll forgive me for saying, patience is not something that would generally be associated with your generation. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I struggled as well. You know, there's always this, uh, you know, FOMO, like fear of missing out. You have friends going out, starting their own businesses and everything. And I was kind of like playing it safe a little bit. I wanted to be sure. Certainty was was a big thing for me. I don't want to make a leap unless I, I feel that I'm ready, that I'm prepared. And the whole psychological component about actually making the leap is, is a different story altogether because that, yeah. that's it, right? Like without the, you know, if you can't break through your fears, your doubts, you're not going to be able to do it no matter how prepared you are, right? And so, uh, yeah, I, I kind of took my time with the whole process, but, you know, finally, I, I am here where I'm right now. I'm not sure how things are going to be years from now, it might change again, who knows, but I'm happy to be where I am right now. And that's what's important, I guess, as long as you're happy with what you're doing. Yeah, I, I guess as the old as you say, you know, do a job you enjoy and you'll never have to work a day in your life. So it, it seems that you're living what you enjoy doing, which is great. Yep, I would summarize it as that. <laughs> Kai, you mentioned you faced some challenges. You mapped it out initially, but nevertheless, you faced some psychological challenges, some societal, I assume, pressure 
right? Because, I mean, we, we live in Asia and having a corporate career to the most parts of the society sometimes is considered to be of a higher standard, a higher status than someone who is a freelancer, depending on who you're talking to. But I'm talking about the general stereotype. So how did you deal with that? How did you deal psychological kind of a block, uh, a mindset block as a person and challenging the status quo of the society to move into this direction? So I've worked in government setting. I've worked in a hospital. I've worked in internet-based company, in startups, uh, very small teams. And for the longest time, I asked myself this question, hey, Kai, do you want to try out corporate? You want to give it a go? I heard like you can earn a lot of money there and stuff like that. And I struggled a lot with this question. And I, after a, contemplating for a very long time, I decided, you know what? I don't have to, right? And it was a big decision for me because like a lot of people were going in that direction because they seem to be able to pay more than some startups, especially those in the early stage. But I decided to, you know, I just decided I don't want to join corporate. I want, to, I want to be myself. I, I enjoy working in small teams. I enjoy working with companies in the infant stages, helping them grow and you know, helping them turn something small into potentially something big. And so that was the, the route that I took. Uh, thankfully, my, my friends and family, they're also very supportive of me. You know, they're encouraging me. At first, they were discouraging me. But when they, when they saw what I was achieving, they you know, they became more, more supportive, more encouraging. And they're like rooting me on all the way now, you know, like, hey, Kai, you know, what are you going to do next? You know, on a, looking forward to your next big move and stuff like that. I hope they're not referring to marriage, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, um, I was going to ask the question, but it, there must have been some anxiety from a family perspective when you decided to move from being a pharmacist to, to other areas. How did you deal with that? How did you break the news to your family that's what you were going to do? And what was the reaction and how did you, how did you deal with it? Of course, initially there was, uh, there was a lot of friction. There was a lot of resistance uh, in the initial stages. They, even they couldn't believe that I would be able to transit smoothly. Even I doubt my, doubted myself. So it took time, right? I had to show some results. Uh, most importantly, I trying not to be unemployed when I make my big leap. You know, I apply for a job first and everything. And so, uh, you know, once I secured the job, uh, it wasn't that, you know, it wasn't that bad, right? And then from there, I, I really had to uh, really work very hard to push, push myself to, to succeed in this new industry that I've joined. Because I already made the leap. Uh, I don't want to fail myself. I don't want to fail. I don't want to let others down. And I'm not, there's no turning back for me, even though I've got my license, but mentally I told myself like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go back. Right. So that was a huge driver for me. Um, but yeah, coming back to your question, um, there was a bit of resistance initially, but overall they were supportive of me and I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. It makes a big, it makes a big difference. I, I'm sure many of our young listeners are going to be very curious as to, there you are, a pharmacist, you're with an organization in a completely different space, an area where you had no footprint at all. Tell us a little bit about how you managed to convince them to essentially what would have meant taking a chance on you. Tell us a little bit about that. So I knew it was not going to be easy to get in, which is why I spent the last three years, you know, during the time I was contemplating, not just prepare myself with skills, but also 
so it was an internet-based company and they sell things online. And in that time, I wanted to showcase that I had the ability to do so myself. So I tried to sell stuff online, basically. I came up with all these different experiments and some, I won't say many of them were successful. Most of them were a failure, but at least I, I got a learning experience from it. I had some success. And so when I made my application, I made a point to really stand out. I came in strong with like a application, a headline that said that I failed more times than your marketers and the company was very bold, headline, bold statement, but, but I knew I had to do something to, to stand out because I, I was disadvantaged, right? From the get go, because I didn't have like the specific degree or I never had prior work experience, but they could see the hustle in me, the experiments I did and everything. And so I think that was what really impressed them. And so I was, I was given a chance to join their company. I think that's so important, you know, differentiating yourself from everybody else, because the job sounds very exciting and I'm sure they would have had many applicants. And I think the key for you, by the sound of things, is, is that you were able to differentiate yourself from the get-go and, and making a bold statement, like you said, maybe that was the, that was the game changer. It could be. I'll never know, but... I just, I just knew I had to try my best. I think one key reason uh, it was that probably you have targeted, if not this was the only employer, but you laser targeted a few and you customized your CV to really resonate with whoever was receiving it in that particular company. So rather than like many people do and far too often, you see kind of a standard template blasted uh, by candidates everywhere to everyone, that's kind of still, you know, still okay to receive, but sometimes we receive applications where they address a totally different company uh, just because they copy pasted the body of the email or the resume was initially supposed to be laser targeted, but then they decided to go everywhere with it. I think here is a key takeaway. When you're addressing anybody with any particular document, it's generally like a sales uh, approach. When you're when applying for a job, you're selling your skills. So you need to figure out how would you attract the reader and highlight why your skills will be relevant for that particular employer. And here, unless you are targeting specific companies, you won't end up with that type of a value proposition. So Kai, I'm, I'm keen to understand now that you are very much master of your own destiny. Can you share with us your thoughts in terms of how do you decide on what projects to take on and what projects to turn down? My, my thought process is very simple. There's many fields in digital marketing and I choose to focus on specific areas which I know for sure I can drive good results for my clients. Because if I can help my clients do well, they'll continue paying me. And also I look not just at my abilities, but also whether there is a like a channel product fit kind of thing. You know, for example, certain businesses might do well on Facebook or Google search, SEO. And if I feel that my skills set is a good fit for them, I'm more likely to take on such clients because it will be a win-win situation. I'm not going to try and sell everything because that, that's just not setting myself to win for the long term, you see. So that, that's a, yeah, just a very simple thought process I have. But usually I will just meet up with them, have a chat and see what are the challenges they are facing and whether I can actually help them or not. Can you share with us some of the, the projects that you took on? I think the audience would be very keen to understand 
what type of projects you went for, what did you find challenging, what did you find interesting? Because there are many people, I think, given the economic situation that we are finding ourselves in, that are thinking, you know what, maybe this is a good time to make a change. When I consider a business, I kind of look to see what, what are they selling? Do they have edge over the competition? Do they have a good team? They have, uh, you know, sometimes it's more to like the budget, these kind of things to see whether uh, they would benefit from services like mine like in, the, in the digital marketing. For example, SEO, search engine optimization, uh, whether there's a lot of competition, whether is it a crowded space. If it's a crowded space, uh, it's going to take more time, more resources. It might going to take longer. And in that case, I might, I might either suggest something else or I, I might say, uh, you know, maybe I'm not the best fit for this, for this project, you see. So, um, you know, case to case basis, I really need to look at the business and, and see what are the low hanging fruits, I would say, that could really take them to the next level. Like you'd be surprised to see many people don't even have a simple website that is searchable on Google. So they can't even be found on Google when you type in their brand name and stuff like that. So these, these are really simple things, which of course I can help them, but it's a lot more than that, of course, not just the website. There's a lot of things. Again, digital space is, is very broad and varied. But at this point, I do kind of have like certain frameworks which can help them to quickly identify and see, you know, what, what can be done for them. How have you found organization reacting to your advice? Because very often you get people asking for advice, but they're asking to reinforce their own ideas rather than something new. Have you encountered that at all? Yes, I, I, I do. Uh, I'm not sure what is the rationale sometimes when clients suggest a certain thing. Maybe they heard from someone else that it worked well, right? Uh, and for me, it's very important to you know, listen to their, to their ideas, analyze it, think about it, and see whether from my perspective and my experience, whether it makes sense or not. If there is some sense to it, okay, uh, we can consider, we can experiment, of course. It's, there's really no harm in that. It's just, it's just time, right? Some of these things. But if something clearly does not make sense, uh, it's my job to push back. You know, I have to tell them that it's a waste of time. I'm very clear on their goals. Some of them want to generate leads, some of them want to generate sales. And if you can convince them that this is the best way, and of course show the result, most of the time they are more than happy to oblige because they, they know that uh, you know, we're on the same page. We are, we're here to hit goals and not to be diverted by all these distractions and stuff like that. So lots of changes happening in the world today, more and more emphasis on, on organizations and even people on their digital presence. Social media is becoming more and more prevalent in terms of everything that we're doing from buying behavior to how we vote to how we live. You've been in this field for some time. What, what are your predictions in terms of what's going to happen over the next, I was going to say over the next five years, but who could predict? what's going to happen over the next five months. But let, let's give it a go. What, what do you see happening in the future of digital social media? How is that going to make a difference to the way we work and the way we live? Okay, so that's a, that's a really interesting question. For starters, what I've seen is a lot of uh, businesses have not embraced digital fully. They are, you know, they are starting to do so, right? They're, they're scrambling to hire digital marketers or to implement campaigns. People whom you've, you never have thought like, uh, advertise online, for example, some F&B outlets that they're doing it heavily right now because they, they have to do what it takes to survive, you know. So that's the, the immediate shifts that are happening. Then in terms of, I mean, we've seen things like remote working, right? Before this is like quite a, 
taboo thing in many companies, but now they've opened up, like everyone's embracing, you know, Zoom, working from home, some even benefiting from it because it like increases productivity and so and so. So there's a lot of uh, mindset shifts because of the situation we are in right now with the pandemic. In terms of the future of digital marketing, advertising, I, I can't really put my finger on one thing. The world's biggest platforms, you know, Facebook, Google, you know, TikTok and, and stuff, they're getting bigger and bigger. They're, nothing is slowing them down. Eventually, everyone's going to have to resort to advertising or using some of these platforms. And if you don't, then, uh, you know, you don't have much choice, to be honest, right? Uh, you know, you're not going to be able to get traffic from anywhere else. So now is the, the best time to go in and master these platforms for yourself because these companies, they're not going anywhere. They are here to stay. And whether you like it or not, you better become an expert at it. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, I would say not just these companies are going to stay. I think more and more of them are going to come out to serve more demand, I guess, and more demand for variety. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that, you know, Twitter was the platform, and now it's a bit passe, especially with younger people. TikTok seems to be the, I was going to say main, but it's, it's, it's one of the more popular ones. But there's all, you know, there's talk of other platforms coming on board. So I guess the ability to be able to work these multiple platforms is obviously going to be a consideration moving forward. If you were going to advise somebody who's looking to get out there and put themselves out on the market, and you only had one platform, I know it's kind of counterintuitive from what you've said, because the more of these platforms you're using, the better. But which do you see as the one that's going to drive more promotion of the individual maybe rather than an organization so that's one part of the question the second part is if you're an organization would it be different to what you would look at for an individual or would it be the same okay i think yeah this is a really difficult question to answer because again every business might benefit from different platforms right personally i'm a big fan of google uh, simply because seo is if you can control it well, you, you can get a lot of traffic to your website for, for basically free. And so that, it, you know, if your SEO is very good, you're getting all these visitors coming, searching for you, anything, you don't have to pay a single cent for Google. So SEO mastery is, I think it's a very uh, highly sought after skill uh, nowadays. A lot of people are focusing on, more and more companies are focusing on it now, given, you know, things like rising ad costs and competition and everything. I think that's uh, one, one thing companies should look at. And in terms of, uh, let's say I'm in the employer's shoe, I'm looking to hire somebody, I won't necessarily look for a specific skill. Uh, depends on the level they are at, right? And my needs, of course. If they're someone very junior, fresh digital marketer, junior digital marketer, I'm pretty open to working with them, even if they are not specialized yet, because a lot of these guys can, those can be trained. For someone, if I'm hiring someone in a managerial or a leadership position, then there's this like uh, terminology called the T-shaped marketer, where you have a broad range of digital marketing skill sets, and then you you hone, you focus on certain specializations, and hopefully that specialization is something that your company kind of excels in, can benefit a lot from. So that will be more important for a more senior role. But for the junior role, I I really don't expect them to to be a master from from the beginning, right? I have to be realistic, uh, even better if I could train them what I know and help to groom them into the type of marketer I need them to be for my organization. But it's very subjective. So, so that, that's just 
that's what I'll pop in my head. I think that's a fair point. A byproduct of my generation is everybody's looking for experience, but you know, you've got young people with a lot of energy. How do you get experience without getting the chance? So what I'm hearing from you is, is you're looking more in terms of traits within the individual that would, where you would see, yes, this is a person that I can invest in. So with that in mind, typically what kind of traits are you looking for? Let's give an example, right? If I'm going to be focusing heavily on content marketing in the English market, definitely the person needs to be able to write well, you know, to, to be grammatically correct and string proper sentences together. You don't need to be the best writer in the world, but you need to be able to, to research data. You need to be able to, to write decent articles. Uh, even for advertising, it's the same thing. I can teach you the copywriting formulas of what to write, but you need to be able to write proper English sentences. So, so generally for marketers, I'm looking for, for people who can write well, who are smart, who are proactive, you know, who know how to Google stuff on their own, don't need me to breathe down their neck and stuff like that. Of course, I try not to find this unicorn, right? That's quite difficult to hire if you're just trying to get every single thing. But there are certain, these are some of the main things that I look for. And I'll be able to identify this uh, pretty much early, even from the interview level. Because when you, when you see like their, their application, their CV, you may really see the amount of effort they put in application. And if it's not good, I, you know, it just tells me that this might not be the best candidate. Yeah, that's a good point. What are your thoughts about video resumes? Is something that a lot of people have talked about? What are your thoughts? Video resume is, is good for a person to showcase uh, you know, their attitude, their energy, uh, and also their effort because it might not be as easy to make a nice video resume. So if they can really do that, and especially if you're, more, you're hiring more for a creative role, I think that is, that's a good way for a candidate to showcase themselves. But let's say if I'm hiring for writing, uh, might not be the main thing I'm looking at. Uh, I'd rather see the ability to write more as an important factor. So I think video resume is good for, for everything else, but it's like something more related to writing, for more technical skill sets, or even for coding, for example. I don't think I'll need to see a video of them. I'm more interested in the type of work they can produce. It's something that seemed to, at one stage, seemed to gather pace and everybody was talking about this is the way for the future, no more resumes, it's all going to be video, it's all going to be soundbite. But it didn't quite, it kind of hopped along for a while, and I think the jury's still out on it. I, I, I'm not not entirely convinced it's going to be the future, but it was a you know it, it, to me it's quite an interesting concept, especially for those who may not be the greatest writers but could get across the energy. But as you say, that can sometimes be a little bit difficult to convey if you're interviewing for a technical job, where what you know is more important than how you get it across. Kai, I have a question coming back to the freelancing subject. How do you actually able to scale? Because as a freelancer, you're, as I understand, you're a one-man show. So there is always a limit to an individual, right? You have 24 hours a day uh, and you have your two hands with 10 fingers and you have your laptop or a phone. And since you're in the digital space, that's, these are your tools, right? So did you reach a, a level where it's like a limit? I can't, I have to reject clients because I just don't have enough resources. How do you manage that, that limitation? Did you consider expanding hiring people and actually having a, a small startup? Yeah, so I would say I'm still quite early in terms of my freelancing career. Right now, I currently have uh, enough clients that I can handle, thankfully. 
there were cases where I actually had to turn down clients because uh, the nature of the work or the project that they, they propose is I knew from the beginning it's going to be very execution heavy. And they, sometimes these clients, they don't have uh, their own teams to do it. So uh, if I end up working with them, I'll probably need to uh, do it myself or I have to outsource it or hire somebody to do it. And so in these situations, you know, I already know my bandwidth, I already know how many hours I am working or I plan to work, then it's a clear no, right? But sometimes there's like one-off uh, short gigs, training gigs, I do that as well. That one, I know that because it, it's fixed, right? That the time needed, uh, it's agreed upon early on. So uh, I know how to structure my time and take on such uh, short-term projects. Uh, but in terms of scaling, I don't see that right now I need to scale. I'm quite comfortable. I have enough clients currently to sustain my business. But when the time comes, you know, uh, let's say I stop working with certain clients, then, uh, then I'll figure out then, you know, I don't have to worry about it right now. Not everyone has a goal of building a big agency. At least that's not my goal. At least I kind of want to try to be, create a lean lifestyle for as long as I can. In fact, right now I actually hire freelancers via Upwork to get uh, some of the manual work done. And my clients are very happy with the output that they produce. So we'll continue working with these uh, freelancers to accomplish what we've set out to do. Many successful entrepreneurs, the key to what they do and their success is not about how many times they say yes, but more about how many times they say no. So it's knowing what you want and what you don't want to do. I mean, freestyle is not just a way of work. It's a way of life. There's a certain level of independence, there's a, a level of creativity and that outlook that you provide that many people can't. And I suspect that that's the value that you add, especially when you're dealing with larger corporations who are bound by their own processes and the limitations to what they, they can and can't do. Whereas for you, you're not, you're not bound by any of, uh, of this. You know, you're not, you're not tethered to it. It's great to be able to do that. I'm keen to get your thoughts about, you know, in the old days, our industry is, a, is an interesting industry. It started off being very traditional, very cool, all about HR, all about adding value. And it being disrupted by people like yourself. In actual fact, we're an industry that should be, if it's going to survive, to self-disrupt. So from your perspective, what value do you think organizations like us could and would provide to freelancers like yourself? Yep. So if I understand like uh, manpower group primarily work with, I mean, more to like employment, right? Hiring and so forth. And so freelancers is not really the, your, your core. So any form of innovation probably is like, it's like a new venture. It's like a new thing. Uh, am I right to say? We're moving much more towards the freelance. So our views on employment have fundamentally changed. So typically, our core team would have been all permanent employees. Now, over the last several years, and this is not unique to Manpower Group in Malaysia, it's Manpower Group across the world, we're much more open in terms of how we engage employees, whether they're permanent employees, contractors, it could be that they're consultants, or in essence, freelancers. We have freelancers who've been partnering with us, I think for seven or eight years. So it's not new. For us, it's just a question of how do you segment the, the workforce? How do you remain relevant to the needs of, of the individuals? You know, you have somebody who is looking for employment, permanent employment, to somebody who's simply looking at 
somebody to facilitate their gigs, almost like secretarial work. Mm, um, that, that's a very, very interesting question. Right now, I have not seen many, uh, what you call like freelancer brokerage. Uh, there are platforms like Upwork and Freelancer.com. They're more like a, like a platform, right? Software service. But in terms of a company that is mediating the, the deal between a client and a freelancer, you know, that's interesting. And I haven't seen much of this uh, type of business models, at least in this region in, in Malaysia, or, or maybe I've not tried one yet. So definitely, I think uh, there's room for disruption if there isn't already. Something like this would be helpful, especially for, for freelancers who are just trying to, to make a name for themselves, trying to you know, get a stable client base. Because uh, I feel lucky because I have been working with my clients for quite long term right now. But at the same time, I've been monitoring the social space and I'm seeing that there are a lot of people who are just getting started and they are struggling uh, with getting clients, negotiating the right rates and stuff like that. So I think uh, this is where a, a company such as yourselves like, can come in and, and create something, create this like, ecosystem that links companies with freelancers who are a good fit, you know. In fact, I think it's also like very helpful for companies right now because, uh, you know, with the situation, maybe you don't want to commit to hiring like a full-time person. Maybe a freelancer, a short-term freelancer might be useful. So yeah, my thoughts are, you know, I'm, I'm definitely up for, for stuff like that, you know. And there could be like different tiers, right? To get deeper into your thoughts, so how do you see it different from what freelancer.com or Upwork is offering right now because basically they are let's call it like an e-commerce hub uh, but instead of products there are skills that are being offered so what is the missing part i'm not sure if you have listed yourself on freelancer or upwork if you did yeah. what are you missing if you didn't well again what is missing why you didn't well the reason why i didn't list myself on places like upwork is because uh it's if you're not, if you haven't start from the early beginning, you you need time to build up your portfolio. In fact, you need a lot of time. Uh, even if I'm, uh, if I feel that I'm overqualified for a certain role, but because I don't have like past upward test specific testimonials, it'll be difficult for me to get a job. Now, maybe some just a idea, right? Like what where you guys can come in would be to shortlist people who are good fit by interviewing them or you know just doing the whole screening thingy. And you can connect companies directly with these people, right? Uh, save some time. Because in Upwork, it's a, more like a self-serve platform. If I want to hire someone, I need to you know, post a job, get all the applicants. I need to screen them myself. I need to test them. It's actually a very long process sometimes, especially if you're looking for a bigger type of job, you know, not just like article writing. And so what if there's a, like a middleman can come in and you know, mediate this process to speed things up, to, to add value to both sides? be it like save time or to help people find the right fit because of your, your knowledge and expertise in helping people, you know, get jobs and stuff like that. So that's an idea. I, I think you've absolutely nailed it, Kai. We see ourselves evolving from being a very client-centric organization. And don't get me wrong, clients pay the bill. But I think we're seeing more emphasis move towards talent. So it's that balance between two very important stakeholders because you know in Malaysia typically there is demand but there is insufficient supply there may be other parts of the world where there is supply but there isn't demand so I think the important role that we have is that 
talent pipelining, that talent facilitation. Your story is inspirational because you did it pretty much yourself. You had the sort of strength of thought and the idea to to map your path. But there are many people who would love to go the way you've gone, but need a little bit more advice and a little bit more help. And typically that's not going to be forthcoming from home because the concept of going from a, a proper job as you know, the parents and grandparents would expect to uh, an environment where essentially you're living on, on your wit. That takes a, a little bit of courage to do, but a whole lot of preparation and a whole lot of support. So I certainly see that we have an opportunity to be able to do that. In fact, some of our partnerships with freelancers have been on the basis where there is mutual interest where we don't need to necessarily develop a capability if we have access to it. And we may have, you know, the infrastructure to be able to support. Because again, one of the fundamental needs of freelancers is I may be an expert at what I do. I could be an excellent auto designer, but I don't have the wherewithal to run my back office, my accounting, the collection of my invoices, all of that. So there could potentially be synergies there. Uh, there's also you know, the opportunity to be able to say, how do we help you in terms of developing more, not just in terms of your area of specialization, but being more comfortable with, you know, with the environment of being a freelancer. So I, I, I certainly believe that there is a role uh, for us to play, not just in the facilitation, but also making sure that the outcome is being able to promote you know, this as, a, as an alternative, especially at times like this, where many organizations are rethinking their cost structure, but at the same time, they have the challenge of innovation and staying ahead of the competition. So it, can, it sounds counterintuitive. I've got to invest in all of this, but at the same time, I've got to manage my expenses. So I think freelancers are going to be very much the way for the future. And the challenge for organizations like Manpower Group is how do we facilitate that interaction? So we're at the top of the hour almost. Thank you very much, Kai, once again for joining. By the way, just for the record, Sam, Kai was uh, my teacher, basically, at the next academy. <laughs> All right. So with that, thank you, everybody, for tuning in to our episode today. We hope you enjoyed it. Once again, if you would like to reach out to Kai, go to Growth pj.com drop him a message uh, if you have any questions to us go to manpower.com.my forward slash work life cafe send them over and we will gladly address them stay safe and we'll talk to you next time thanks for having me thanks guys stay safe everyone